Good evening. What a beautiful, beautiful evening. Oh. I just want to take a minute to let that this this evening sink in. I'm I'm aware of the just right temperature. Just right for the human body. I'm aware of the gorgeous color of the light. I'm aware of relaxing into this beautiful evening when we had snow just, it seems like, days ago. And here it is, almost 70 degrees, bright blue skies, warm color of the sun. Wow, we're so fortunate. And I'm also aware that part of why it's so amazing is that it's so fleeting and precious and it's going to be gone. The sun's just about to set and who knows what tomorrow brings. Who knows? But we've been talking about having uh, our Sangha's very first five mindfulness trainings transmission ceremony. And last week someone asked, well, what is this? And I'm really happy for the question because uh, I don't think I've explained it very well. So that's what I'd like to talk about tonight. What, what, is, what does this mean to take refuge in the five mindfulness trainings? So the first question is, um, why would we do this? Why would we turn to the five mindfulness trainings at all? Well, people, people come to this um, action to, to formally take the mindfulness trainings for a variety of reasons. And there's no one right reason to do it. Some of us, we have a deep question that we've been living with all our lives. I think I've had a question since I was a little kid. Uh, my question has always been, what's the right thing to do? Because I grew up in this family that was that was very diverse in terms of points of view and actions. And I saw people behaving in opposite ways. And a little kid, you know, you, you don't know what, what to make of it. And I always wondered, well, what is the right thing to do? This one does that, and this one does that. How do I know? So somehow I just had this question from the very beginning. And I think that led me into practice. And I still have that question. Maybe you have one. It could be something completely different. There's nothing special about that question. It's just the one I seem to have carried. Uh, some of us, we, we have some kind of an aspiration that leads us here. You know, I want to be a better person. I want to help in the world somehow. We know some aspiration like that. That might lead us into practice. Um, some of us have had an experience or a set of experiences that we're trying to understand and make sense of. One, one of my friends, uh, she, when she was uh, five years old, she was swept under the waves in the ocean. And she took a lungs full of water and sat there and was completely content and at peace. Most content she'd ever been. And 
Then the, a wave came, a current came, and threw her up on the beach, and she didn't want that. So her experience really caused her to come to, to a deep practice because she wanted to understand what that was all about. She wasn't, wasn't happy about popping back into the world she knew before. Or sometimes we just have an intuition. And that your gut tells you this is the right thing to do, this, this exploring practice in this way. Um, none of these are the right or the wrong reasons, but there's a variety of things that bring us. And the question is for you, well, well what would bring you to, to want to consider formally taking the five mindfulness trainings? Uh, and you know another reason that people will take the trainings is oftentimes they they realize that they can't practice alone, and that taking the trainings with the sangha is a way to to um, ritualize that we're going to do this together. We're we're one body. We're not just an individual. Um, yeah, as we as we practice, uh, we think maybe that we can uh, do all this the best anybody's ever done it, uh, that we can do it without other people. But we can't. We we're in the limits of our, of our ego project. And, yeah, it, takes us, it takes us all working together. Uh, it's a big job. It's a big job. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of um, uh, Ajahn Brahmavamsa, or, or Ajahn Brahm as he's, as he's called. Uh, he's an English monk in the Theravadan tradition, and he, and he has a, uh, a practice center in Australia. And he's, he's sort of like a Dharma comedian. He's really, really funny a guy, and he gives these great funny Dharma talks, and he writes great books and articles. And he tells a story of when he was a young man in college and was just discovering the Dharma. And he knew that the Buddha made this resolution to sit under the Bodhi tree until he understood. So he said, okay, I can do that. So he decided he was going to sit on the bed in his dorm room until he was enlightened. Well, about 20 minutes later, he was out of there. He, he couldn't do it. Uh, and it's kind of like us, you know, without the container of our practice form, of our mindfulness trainings, of taking refuge, we're like that. We might have this aspiration or intuition or experience, something that brings us to want to practice, but unless we do this together, it, it's so, so hard. And I don't want to say impossible, but in my experience, for me, impossible. Hmm. And, and then the final reason that, that we would want to take the five mindfulness trainings is that we have the opportunity to do it. You know, this is very rare that we have the opportunity. There's a simile that is used in, in uh, Buddhist literature that coming across the Dharma is like being a turtle swimming in the middle of the vast ocean. And you come up for air, and when you come up, there's a piece of driftwood floating. And you just happen to come up and put your head up through a knothole and take a breath. It's that rare. It's that unlikely that we encounter this practice. And yet we have. Here we are. We have the opportunity. Somehow this path has appeared in our lives. And what are we going to do about that? 
All right, so how do we actually take the five mindfulness trainings? What does that, what does that mean? Well, there's a ceremony in which we do this. And the ceremony is led by a Dharma teacher. And a Dharma teacher is someone who has received uh, from the Sangha a lamp transmission. And that lamp transmission authorizes the Dharma teacher uh, to transmit these precepts to the next generation of people. It's been going on like this for more than 100 generations. So we, so we need a Dharma teacher. And that Dharma teacher uh, will conduct the ceremony, and part of the ceremony is that you will receive a Dharma name. You, know, you have a name that, that defines your, you in the world, and maybe it defines your ego, maybe it defines all that you've accomplished so far, but, this, but you get also a Dharma name, a name that gives you... Um, gives voice to your aspiration. So our Dharma names uh, have, have a source to them. There was a, a, one of our, our ancestors in the practice, Liu Quan, uh, lived in Vietnam. Uh, he was born in 1670 and died in 1742. And he was a Zen master and left quite a lot of, of literature. Well, maybe sometime we can learn about him. Uh, he was the 40... He was the 35th generation of practitioners since the founder of our lineage, a man named Lin Chi in China. And Lin Chi was about 50, 55, something like that, generations from the Buddha. Okay? So um, we are the 44th generation from Master Lin Chi. And when Liu Quan wrote, had his awakening, he wrote a poem and it's from that poem we take part of our Dharma names. So we all have an, a word that corresponds with the generation we are since Liu Quan wrote that. And we all in this generation have that same word in our name. And that, that word is Nguyen in Vietnamese, which means source. So all of us have source in our Dharma name that we will receive. And then maybe someday... Uh, if, if you have a Dharma, Dharma heirs, they will receive the next word in the poem. So I wanted to read you the poem, uh, not so that you know, we go, go into it, because some of these Dharma poems are quite difficult to understand on a first reading. But I just wanted to give you a sense of what this poem is. And this is Thich Nhat Hanh's translation into English, so the words don't quite line up, you know, that, that we take our names from. And this poem is called The Great Way of Reality. The great way of reality is the pure ocean of the true nature. The source of mind has penetrated everywhere. From the roots of virtue springs the tradition of compassion. Vinaya, Samadhi, and Prajna, the nature and function of all three is one. The fruit of transcendent wisdom can be realized by being wonderfully together. Maintain and transmit the wonderful principle in order to make it known, to make known the true teaching. For the realization of true emptiness to be possible, wisdom and action have to rise together. 
So that's the poem, several hundred years old in English translation. That's part of our, part of our names. Uh, so the ceremony also includes the Sangha. So the Dharma teacher is part of that, but the Sangha is also an um, enormous part of that. And I sense that in our particular case, it's a very important part of that. We started this Sangha together. We are opening our hearts together and taking the five mindfulness trainings together, I think is, a, is really vital. We have a root Sangha. We will always have a root Sangha. And this is what we're creating now. We're creating our root Sangha. And I just can't overstate the importance of the relationships that we're creating as a root Sangha together, awakening together. It's so important to have friends on the path. And doing this as a Sangha uh, can give us so much support. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and also part of this, so the how of it is, is the power of ritual the power of doing this actual ritual. It's very different from you sitting at home like Ajahn Brahm on his bed and saying, okay, I'm going to practice the precepts. You may well want to do that, and that's a great aspiration, but there's something about the ritual of us doing this together as a Sangha, being witnessed and supported, that, that makes it into a pivot point in our lives. Some, a, a kind of a vague aspiration becomes concrete. I've, I've done this three times. I've had three different transmission ceremonies, and every one of them formed a pivot point in my life in ways that I could not have imagined at, at the moment or even ahead of time. And I still don't really understand uh, that, but I just live live with that. Um, and then finally, how we take this after we take the five mindfulness trainings, we are we are given our certificate that has our Dharma name and it has the five mindfulness trainings on our certificate. And and part of our agreement is that we, as individuals and as a sangha, agree to recite those mindfulness trainings once every month at least. And it even says in the ceremony that if we don't do this uh, in, for three months, if we let the, them lapse, we don't recite them for three months, then we have to retake the mindfulness trainings. We have to keep the energy alive of the mindfulness trainings. If we take them and we don't practice them, we don't bring them into our hearts and into our lives, then they don't transform us. So that's part of, the, part of taking the mindfulness trainings is making the commitment to actually recite them and reciting them is just such a wonderful practice, such a wonderful practice. Uh, I learn every time I recite the trainings, I learn something new, every single time. It shows me how, how practice is unfolding in me, and it gives me an endless opening into new ways of practicing. A phrase jumps out that never, I never even thought of that way at all. Um, yeah, there's, there, it just keeps opening and opening and opening. Okay, so the next question would be, what does taking the five mindfulness trainings do for us? What's the point? 
Well, first of all, it gives us a refuge. Uh, Taking a refuge expresses our determination to head towards what we see to be beautiful and truthful and good. You know, we might we might take it on faith that this path leads there, but likely, after we've been sitting for a while, we can taste that for ourselves. We can see that walking this path is leading me towards what is true and beautiful and good. So we take refuge by taking the mindfulness trainings as a concrete way to continue walking that path. And it does unfold our hearts. We can't help but have our hearts unfolded. When we take the, the refuge like that in the trainings as a sangha, sometimes we don't have to do very much at all. We can just be carried along by the river of the sangha. Just go with it, and that will transform us without a lot of extra effort. It's, it's so lovely. When we take refuge that way in the mindfulness trainings, uh, the the refuge is the path itself. It's not somewhere we're going to get. It's not a it's not a, a cell to close ourselves in and take refuge from the world. The refuge is actually walking that path. That's the refuge. So we take the mindfulness trainings to protect us from suffering. You know, our actions really matter in the world. It's hard sometimes to see that. You know, we, I think we hold in our hearts that if nobody sees this, it doesn't really matter. Who knows what I'm thinking? Does it really matter? But it does. It really does matter. No thought that we have, no action that we take is without consequences. So when we take the mindfulness trainings, we're protecting ourselves from suffering because mindfulness trainings will move us towards thoughts and actions that bring us more joy and bring us less suffering. In the five remembrances we recite, I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground on which I stand. It's really true. Um, you know, we we have some really good teachers right now about this in our political culture. You know, we can see what unwholesome thoughts and actions lead to by looking around. You know, we can see the unhappiness of what it is to to lie, uh, what it is to steal, to exploit other people. We can see it. I mean, it's concrete. It's right there in front of us. They are, they, in some ways, in our political culture, there are people that I feel a lot of gratitude for because in some ways they're sacrificing themselves for my benefit. They're, they're sacrificing their own happiness by acting in such a way that gives us such a blatant expression of what walking that path is like and how can I not walk the other path? Oh. And we talk about that phrase, this, this is it. And when I look at, into that political culture, I see that the this part is a lot of lies. You know, one of our mindfulness training is to speak 
the truth. And when you see that the this is it that's for them, it is lying is it, how much energy it takes to maintain that those lies. How, how many, how, how, how you have to force your will on the world again and again to make sure that the lie is, is perpetrated and doesn't fall down. You have to create propaganda. You have to yell. You have to, you have to oppress. You have to do all these things to make sure that the lies continue. Um, when we follow the mindfulness trainings, we can let go of all of that. We don't have to worry about any of that because we can speak truthfully and lovingly. So we, we take refuge in the five mindfulness trainings because it opens our hearts. It's really a concrete practice of opening our hearts. It takes our own awareness of our own suffering and transforms that into compassion and to peace and to joy. In, in practicing in this way, we learn to accept ourselves just as we are, all our flaws, all our failings. We accept it just as we are, and our heart opens up. And when our heart opens up like this, we can accept other people the way they are. We can accept the world being the way it is. We can accept this bodily pain. We can accept the, you know, the, the snow that, that made it so we couldn't leave our house. We can accept things just as they are because our hearts are open. That's a fruit of the practice of the mindfulness trainings. And finally, um, we practice the mindfulness trainings because it allows us to help others. You know, this is the path of the bodhisattva. Bodhisattva is the being that generates so much love in their hearts that they make this impossibly huge vow to save all beings, to not turn their back on anyone or anything. And that's what we're becoming. We are becoming bodhisattvas. And we're already bodhisattvas. But the mindfulness trainings give us concrete ways to be bodhisattvas. Yeah, they, the, when we practice them, they they increase our desire to be compassionate because we see the effect of compassion. We see the effect of our wise actions in the world. And so we want to do that more and more. And in the five mindfulness trainings gives us skillful actions that we can take that are actually compassionate actions. Because compassion is always an action. It's not just a sentiment. It's not a feeling. It's an action. And so the mindfulness trainings, when we live in accord with them, we have a framework in which we can act compassionately in the world. And that is such a joy. That is such a joy to, to let go of our own selfish concerns and act for the benefit of the world. Hmm. Yeah, such a joy. So much more meaningful than my own self-interest. And actually, my own self-interest is all wrapped up in helping in the world. There's no, there's no um, distinction, ultimately. Bodhisattva is not leaving anyone out, including the Bodhisattva. So we don't really have to make this distinction between self and other.
So as always, um, Thich Nhat Hanh has the, the most beautiful and poetic and simple and direct way to say all this uh, about why, why we would take the five mindfulness trainings. And, I, and I, I turn to the title of the book he wrote describing how one becomes a monastic, how one enters uh, the life of a monk or a nun. And he titled, entitled the book, Stepping into Freedom. And I think that that phrase, stepping into freedom, perfectly encapsulates why we would take the five mindfulness trainings and practice the five mindfulness trainings. It is stepping into freedom. Uh, I, I want to distinguish what freedom is in this context, because usually in our culture, when we think of freedom, it's not quite the same idea of freedom as we have in our practice. So in our culture, uh, we think of freedom as freedom to, freedom to do something. You know, it's, it's right in our constitution, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, we are free to do those things. Um, you know, also, we are free to own an assault rifle. Um, we are free to do all kinds of actions that aren't necessarily going to uh, help us or, or our culture. But we really focus on freedom to do something. But in practice, we're, we're, it's a different aspect of freedom. It's freedom from. Freedom from. And, and that's different. Imagine, imagine how our Second Amendment um, uh, discussions might be different if we were, instead of just talking about freedom to, we were also talking about freedom from. You know, freedom to own an assault rifle or children have freedom from the worry that someone's going to shoot in their school. It would be a very different discussion. So our practice is to practice freedom from, and this is a very concrete way in which the five mindfulness trainings are, are important to us. It allows us to break the endless cycle of self-imposed suffering that we give ourselves. Our lives have been an endless variety of ways that we cause ourselves to suffer with our behavior. And the five mindfulness trainings are saying, practicing this gives us freedom from that. Freedom from that endless cycle of self-created suffering. So the five mindfulness trainings, uh, I just want to go through each one just, just briefly to say, what is this freedom from? So the first mindfulness training, we, we take refuge in freedom from killing. And that allows us to step into compassion. When we, when we begin to notice all the ways that we have been killing with our thoughts and with our actions, and we, and we give ourselves the refuge of starting to be free of those things. Compassion naturally arises, naturally. When we, when we, when we realize that the, the steak that we really love, the taste of, you know, it came from a living creature. And we become free from the need to have that 
that experience of that lovely taste that we like, uh, we can't help but grow in compassion for the animals. It just They just go hand in hand. We're free from all the work it takes to suppress that awareness in ourselves. So the second one, when we, when we become free from stealing, we get to step into generosity, into the practice of generosity, of living with, with open hands, with, with looking for the need and, and, and being able to step into that. But until we're freed from grabbing and getting for me, gimme, 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 I want the best of this deal. I don't, I, I don't want to spend one more dollar than I have to for that. I'm going to talk down the street vendor who has nothing because that's just the way we do it. But to be free from, to step into the freedom of no longer stealing. Wow. That generosity grows in our hearts. Our hearts grow huge. The third mindfulness training, to step into the freedom of no longer desiring to exploit the bodies of others for our sexual pleasure. We step into a whole world of caring and protecting instead of grabbing for our needs, our desires. Suddenly we are able to protect other people. We're able to protect children, vulnerable children from being abused. Everywhere we look, there are ways we can protect others. We can protect others. You know, as a man, um, I have to be really careful about this. You know, even like uh, this afternoon, I was in a restaurant, and there was this lovely little two-year-old girl there. And I have to be very aware of every action that I take so that she and her parents know right away that I'm a safe person, right away. So they don't have to carry this kind of a burden. And you know, and when I practice protecting um, people from sexual exploitation, then I give them, I give such a gift to, to them and to myself. <coughs> so the fourth one, when we step into the freedom of no longer lying, how lovely it is to, to be able to offer truthful and loving speech. To, to say things as they are without worry about, about the consequences. If this is the truth and it's the appropriate moment for us to tell the truth and we can say it in a way that helps other people, we say the truth. Even if that doesn't, even if that seems like it puts us at risk. And, and that's so nice not to carry around two stories all the time. The truth and the one I want people to know about me, believe about me. So finally, the last, the last one, when we step into the freedom of letting go of grasping for things, we can, we can step into mindful consumption, into the, the lifelong practice of looking at what comes into our bodies and into our lives and using mindfulness to see, is this good? Is this wise for me to take this in? It's such a way, such a beautiful way to care for the world and for yourself. You know, do I want to bring this into my body? Do I want to bring this into my family? 
Do I want to bring this into my sangha, my culture, my workplace? You know, we get to apply mindful awareness to each thing that we're thinking of consuming or bringing into our lives. And, and when we apply that mindfulness, we either know that this is something that's not, not what I want to bring in, or we say, yes, yes, this is good. I want to bring this in. And then we can share that with, with um, open hearts. So that is just a quick overview of the five mindfulness trainings as a refuge and why, why, we, might, why we might want to take these. Um, we, are, we are thinking about um, a transmission ceremony uh, this summer. So it gives us some time. And I think what we can do is spend some time between now and then looking at the mindfulness trainings together and really seeing what they are so that this isn't just some abstraction, but it can be something that you can decide from your own experience whether this is something you decide you want to take this transmission or not. There's, there's, no, um, there's no guilt or wrongness to not take them. And sometimes people take not all five, but they take one or two or three or four, but they can't see their way quite to practicing all five. Uh, then that's okay too. Oh. And sometimes people take them to renew them. They've already taken them and they want to uh, have another ceremony. They won't get a new name, but they'll get to have, go through the ceremony again. Maybe they've lapsed. Uh, maybe, they, maybe they're no longer practicing them. Maybe they just want to enjoy the ceremony again. That's okay. Huh. Shall we have a couple bells and then incessant discussion?